Good morning. It is a privilege to be here. I've known Keith and Donna for almost 20 years. And on the front end, I just want to say you are blessed uh, to have him uh, as your pastor and to be a part of this church. Um, there are a few men as humble and genuine and passionate about Jesus like Keith. So I just want to thank you for the opportunity. And I'm thankful to be here with this group of people this morning. Um, my family and I, we live uh, in East Asia, somewhere between North Korea and Russia. And we've been living there for the past year. And we are there um, because we want to serve people. And we think that we have something to say. We know that we have something to say. And I think you have something to say, too, as well. And this morning, I want us to look at Scripture together and be reminded um, that God is building an unshakable kingdom that does not just belong to America, but it's a kingdom that belongs to Jesus, and He died that every tribe, tongue, language, nation, and people would gather at the throne of Jesus eternally and worship Him. And I just want to remind myself and us this morning that Jesus is worthy of the praise of all people in the world, that He died to set people free, to ransom sinners like you and me all over the world. And he's worthy of that. And if he's worthy of the praise of people, then he is worthy of our sacrificial lives going and sharing and being sent to the most remote corners of the world and living it out here in Montgomery, Alabama. This week, I have spoken to someone from Laos, uh, Thailand, Indonesia. Um, last night, I ran into a family that I think is from Somalia. And it's interesting how many international faces are visible in Montgomery, Alabama. And if I just think about my limited interaction with the lady from Indonesia yesterday, uh, or earlier this week, Indonesia is the, is the most populous Muslim nation on earth. And here they are in Montgomery, Alabama. And why do I say that? Why do I connect that? Because for most of us, we are going to live and build our lives here in Montgomery, Alabama. It's the exception that people uh, are going to move from America and go abroad, although I think there's significance in that. But for most of you, this is home base. This is where you live, and this is where you serve, and this is your faith family. And so I want to encourage you today that what you have to share is the same thing that I have to share. And let me read this verse to you. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, For Christ's love that sacrificially gave itself on the cross, the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died, that, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me read that to you again. And he died for all that those who live, me and you, among many, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have a message to share because you are God's ambassadors, because he is making his appeal through Christ, through your life. If you hear nothing else today, hear that you are an ambassador of Christ. You did not earn it. You could not achieve it. He did not ask your permission for this. But in Christ, you are, in fact, the living, breathing kingdom of God where the reign and rule of Jesus Christ is evident in your life, in this place, in this church, in this community, in this city, in this nation, in this world. We are the unshakable kingdom of God. He is making his appeal through us. Isn't that an odd action plan? To take broken people who struggle and doubt and sin to proclaim the one who does not sin, who does not struggle, who is always to save, who is steadfast and sure. He uses people not like him to proclaim what he has done and what he could do alone. And now that we are in Christ and hidden with him and saved by him and redeemed by him and secure in him and empowered by him and sealed in him, he uses us to proclaim his message to the world. And I want you to remember this morning, you are his appeal to the world. Now, that doesn't mean it's on the basis of what you have done or what you can do. What it means is you can proclaim the one who's done it for you. And you can proclaim the one who will do it through you. And I want to push back against our cultural notion within the church of America to say this. This is too often quoted. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I just want to tell you this morning, it is necessary to use words to proclaim the gospel. Nice people does not mean Jesus. Helping a neighbor is not the same thing as declaring you are sinful, he is a savior, and you can be redeemed in him. This year in our community, we met this wonderful family, some of the nicest, most gracious people I've ever come across. They are from Pakistan, and they love our family. They love our family, and we've become friends, and this father of two sons came from a large family in Pakistan, and when he met our daughter with Down syndrome, he immediately had a connection with her because his cousin has Down syndrome. And he's know, he knows what it's like to, to experience life uh, with a family member that has Down syndrome, and he, he just takes to her. He takes to her, and, and this family is dear. We host different gatherings celebrating holidays that you might be familiar with, like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. This family comes and attends these events. And they're curious about our lives. And as the closer that we've come to them, we've discovered that they are, in fact, quite devout uh, Muslim people who are among the nicest people we've met there. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Does niceness proclaim the gospel? Does being genuine and loving proclaim the gospel? Not at all. It may just confuse it. 
And so I want to push back against that idea that if you're just nice all the time and loving all the time, that people will go, gosh, they are, they are following Jesus. Because in fact, they're not. And it's possible that if people look at your lives, they may go, he's a really nice guy. But that's not been what's, that, is not, has, that has not been asked of us. Yes, we are to be loving, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But we've also been asked to proclaim and declare the news of Jesus. That Christ has died, he has risen, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so I want to show you a pattern in Scripture that's not my idea, but it's God's idea. And, and the idea is this, that in hearing of what God has done, people place their faith in him. Now, if you go through and read the book of Acts, um, you'll see the scenario of several times where men and women began to declare the works of God, the history of God with people, what God has done through the generations, through the ages. And the net result always is, in fact, that people place their faith in Jesus. And there's a pattern in Scripture that says when what God has done and when what God has uh, achieved in the lives of His people and how God has been faithful, when the character of God has been proclaimed, people place their faith in Jesus. And I want to read to you a scenario in Acts chapter 18. Paul had just left a place where he declared among many people what God has done. And in fact, a few people became followers of Jesus because of upon hearing what God had done, they began to be curious in that. Acts chapter 18, it says this, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now Corinth, in case you're not familiar with this, was a terrible, terrible city, filled with all imaginable godlessness. And it was, it was a dark and broken place, committed to idolatry in various ways, where temples devoted to certain activities that would be horrific to mention in a mixed setting like this were commonplace in the time. So Corinth was not a vacation destination. It was a significant city in this region filled with every kind of sin imaginable. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed there and worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively, listen to this, to preaching, testifying, speaking to the Jews that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. From now on, I will speak of Jesus to the nations is what he is saying. Verse 7, Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of T. Justice, as I like to say it, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. Let me read that last sentence. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. And we're all like, yes, do not be afraid. That reminds us of Joshua. Do not be afraid, for I, the Lord your God, will be with you. But then the Lord says the next sentence. Keep on speaking. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be 
silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Verse 11, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Now in Romans, you can hear more of this being worked out in Paul's own life as he wrestles with um, wanting to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And, and as he follows a very logical sequence, which was clearly inspired by the Holy Spirit, I want you to listen to what this is. This is Romans chapter 10. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Verse 11, chapter 10. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 12, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Drop down to verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Of Christ. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For the first eight months of our time in the city in which we live, it was quite, quite difficult. Um, we came to serve people. I've worked with university students since 2002. And I work on a large university campus. And where I work, uh, there are, are very few uh, believers, very few. And I would introduce myself. Hello, good morning. My name is Matt. I'll be your teacher this semester. I'm a Christian. I'm married. I have five children. Here's a picture of my wife and children. And if you have any questions about my life, please, please talk to me. I'd love to get to know you this semester. The entire first semester, I met one Christian out of thousands of students. One. Winter months pass, and where we live, it is extremely cold, negative 24. Uh, to be uh, honest, it's, it's, a, it's a cold place in every sense of the word. In every sense of the word, it's a cold place. And I will confess, in honesty, it was getting to the point where we were beginning to wonder why, in fact, we were there of all places. And as the spring began to come around and there was still snow and ice on the ground at Easter, um, I began to teach uh, on the historical holiday that is celebrated around the world, called Easter. And I shared both the cultural celebration aspects and then the religious aspects. And at the end of my lesson, two students came up to me and they said, teacher, is this true, what you said, that Christians celebrate Easter because Jesus really rose from the grave? Is that true? And I said, well, yes. 
yes, it's true. And they said, well, we, we didn't know this. Our whole lives we've been taught it's just a story. I said, well, it is a story, but it's a true one. And I believe it, and it's, it's the hinge of the Christian faith. And they said, well, we want to know more about this. And I said, well, do you have a Bible? And they're like, no. I said, would you like a Bible? Yes. I said, well, why don't we meet tonight, and I'll show you a place where you can get a Bible. So that night, I leave my apartment, and as a family, we had prayed um, for this opportunity that was given to us. And then after that moment, I walked out, and I, I've spoken and taught in a number of venues in large gatherings and very small gatherings. And I must say, I've never been more, um, there's never been a greater sense of holy fear and humility than when I walked out that apartment that evening, because I knew I was incapable of declaring uh, what I wanted to declare on my own. And so I'm walking, and I can remember the snow and ice crunching under my feet, and I just, I was praying. I was like, Lord, please do this in and through me. You know, I am inept to cross that many cultural barriers. And so I meet these two students who are expressing an interest to learn more, and we go to this coffee shop that is... Um, run by a Christian, and there are Christian books there for sale. And I bought uh, these two guys, a Chinese and English Bible, and I bought them in Chinese, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And we, I said, would you, like to, would you like for me to help you understand what this means? And so we opened the Bible, and, and I'm, at this point, I'm just glowing on the inside. I mean, I had if you knew what it took to get to this moment, you could fully appreciate the significance of this moment. But a lot of sacrifice, a lot of patience, a lot of endurance, a lot of God building character and humility into me and my family. And at this moment, with Bibles open, I began to walk them through the larger narrative of what Scripture says about God's creation and the fall of man and the promise of salvation and how that came through Jesus. And then we came to the Gospels and and as they were reading through the Gospels, uh, they became more and more interested in Jesus. And then we got to the story of the crucifixion. And this is after we had talked about the miracles and the healings and the teachings. And, and they, at this point, knew that Jesus was not only a good man, but there, there was something quite different about this man named Jesus. And as we read through the account of the crucifixion, one, one of these guys was visibly upset. And he said, this is terrible. How could they do that? to such an innocent man. And I began to talk with him about shame in his own life and shame in my life. And do you ever have those moments where as you say something, you realize it's true? You know it's true, but you realize in your own life that it's true. And as I began to talk about shame and how God has lifted our shame, he began to identify with shame in his own life. Perhaps things that he had thought that were shameful or things that he had done that were shameful, but every human on the face of earth understands shame. We get it, it's guilt because of sin in our lives. And when he began to understand the idea of shame, I looked at him and I said, because of what I believe in Jesus, I said, my shame is gone. And as I said, my shame is gone, I realized my shame really is gone. My shame really is gone. And that was God in that moment ministering to me, reminding me, Matt, your shame, in fact, is gone. And as I'm sitting here proclaiming these things to these guys, he's upset because of what they had done to Jesus on the cross. And he said, how could they do that? 
And I said, well, they either do that to Jesus or they do that to you because you have your own shame. And I said, the only one that can lift that shame is the one who had no shame, who's dying on the cross to take your shame. And as I began to explain the gospel to him in his own words, in very limited English, he says to me, this is really good news. <laughs> it is good news. It's, absolute, it's the best news you will ever hear. That you are a sinner and God is a Savior and He loves you. And your shame can be taken. And I will never forget that moment when, not through my persuasion, because when you cut through language, you are on a second grade vocabulary level. There was nothing I did, but when the Word of God spoke into this life, the net result was, this is good news. Another opportunity I had um, this year was in one of my classes, I was asked, you're going to immediately seem like this is a natural fit for me, I was asked to choreograph a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> Doesn't that seem like me? No, we don't know each other real well, but I, I've never listened to Taylor Swift, really ever. Um, but I walked into the class and my assignment was, please choreograph this Taylor Swift song. I was like, I'd love to. In fact, I'm an expert at choreography and whatever that means, directing a choir. So the entire semester, I'm choreographing a Taylor Swift song. That's how my Monday morning began, with Sparks Fly and Taylor Swift. And as I'm choreographing this, I learned that this uh, colleague of mine is teaching the Bible in her class as a literature. And uh, the stories that she's teaching just present the Bible in a very... A broad manner. And as I became friends with her, I did learn, in fact, that she is a, she's a phenomenal person. And I'll just leave it to that. But she asked me at the end of class, she goes, I know you know a lot about the Bible. I was wondering if you could do me a favor. Um, could you please summarize the four Gospels to my classes? And I thought, I can do this. I would love to do this. I will do this. Now make no mistake about it, that's, there's a fine line there. A very fine line. And as I asked these students, I asked them, before this semester, and as you've studied the Bible from a literature standpoint, how many of you knew of Jesus before this? Not one hand. A few hundred students. Now why do I say that? Because there are places in the world where Jesus is unknown, where there are not churches on every corner, where you do not have great gatherings like this. This entire year, my family has attended church, counted up, zero times. And yet, we are the church. And I think about you here in this culture with so many layers to peel through and to peel back. And I just want to encourage you with something. You, in fact, have a message to share. And your message is, in fact, worth sharing because he is worthy of you sharing it. And I want to encourage you today 
to remember that as you live your lives here in this city, that there are, in fact, many people around you that do not know and have not heard. And one of the most encouraging messages that we um, listened to this year as we were um, huddled up as a couple families um, trying to have our own version of uh, worship together was by a pastor, and he, he, he said, if you are somewhere and Christ is in your life, then God is at work in those people's lives that you're around. It was a very simple statement. If you go somewhere, then God is at work in the lives of people around you. Because wherever you go, Christ goes, because Christ is in you, therefore Christ is going where you're going. So you can be assured of the fact that God is at work all around you, everywhere you go, because Christ is in you and you are with those people, so Christ is at work in those people. That echoes the words that I just read. We've been reconciled to God and made his ambassadors, therefore be reconciled to God as though God is making his very appeal through you. And I just want to encourage you today to ask God to open the eyes of your heart, that you would be more aware of people that maybe don't look like you, don't dress like you, don't speak the same language as you, don't share the cultural values that you share, maybe don't even share the same um, political values that you share. Because uh, they are worthy of the praise of God. They are. And God is worthy, most worthy, to be praised by them. He's worthy of a conversation. He's worthy of a pausing of the agenda and just say, hey, where are you from? I've never been there. Well, you know what? Would, would you like to meet my family and come over for dinner one night? We'd love to know more about your life. And, you know, I think the pushback on preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words, probably came recently out of response of a lot of hollow talk, you know, a lot, of, a lot of religiosity without the love and humility and care behind those words. But that's not you. That's not the heartbeat of this church. That's not the gospel. Yes, love your neighbor as yourself and speak the gospel because you love your neighbor. Both. Yes, treat people kindly, help old women across the street, serve one another in humility, and speak the word of God, proclaim the gospel, declare what he has done. Both. Because if you just declare it with no relationship, then it's hard to hear. And if you just are a nice person, then you're just a nice person who happens to worship Jesus on Sundays in a church. And there's got to be the merging of two where, yes, all the kindness and patience and humility and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and goodness, that's evident in your life, but also the ability to articulate that you, in fact, are sinful, that God, in fact, is sufficient to save someone like you, and that he extends that offer to anyone who could confess and believe in their own lives. Both are true. Both are needed. And I want to encourage you to think this through. Montgomery, there are enough Christians in Montgomery that every other person in Montgomery could be made fully known and fully aware of the goodness, love, and mercy of God. So the next time you're in Target, ask God to open your eyes to people around you. The next time you sit down at a restaurant, ask God to open your eyes to the people around you. Look at your life and see who are the people that seemingly are random that are just being brought into your life and what is it that you can do to serve them in love and in actions. And because you love them, 
what are the opportunities for you to proclaim to them that God, in fact, loves them? God, in fact, loves them. And if you're new to faith, if this is your first time walking into a church, or if that's, this is not landing in your own life, I just want to remind you of something. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He said amazing things. He taught amazing things. He healed in amazing ways. He performed miracles in amazing ways. He was crucified on a cross so that you, in fact, could be set free from the sin and shame in your own life. And more than what God wants you to do for Him, God wants you to know Him and be loved by Him because it's in the receiving of grace and grace alone could anyone truly find the motivation to do what we've talked about this morning. So I want you to hear this that we've talked about today is really truly only by the kindness and mercy of God in our lives. And I would hate to misspeak today and for you to tack on to the list of things you must do to be good enough for God. This, oh great, now every, if next time I order a soft taco, I'm going to have to say, and do you know about Jesus? That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying today is it is God has poured out his grace to you. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I pray you would come to a place where you would offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Let's pray. Lord, I love you because you have first loved me, and I need you. Um, And I thank you that you have set me free from sin and shame. And I pray, God, that as we consider in our own lives um, what it is that you would ask of us, I pray that we would receive all of that through your grace and mercy and kindness to us in Jesus Christ. No one is worthy. Everyone is loved dearly by you. This is not an action list or a to-do item as much as it is an invitation to walk with you in spirit and in truth. And so we pray these things would land in our heart and that we would be faithful in our relationship with you as we see you at work in the lives around us. Lord, I pray for this church that you would bless this church, that you would bless the families, the marriages, the children, the men and women that belong to this church. And God, that you would build a community of people who not only love their neighbor, but love their neighbors enough to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.